Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoofies. Hi. So you all know by now, based on the art of what the fuckery, that I, your host, Nadege August, am a pock, a person of color, a black woman, African-American, and all that jazz. We happen to be living at a time of great civil unrest after the murder of George Floyd. We've all seen it. No matter where you stand, in the aisle of race, politically, from your religious standpoints, if you have that, from your spirituality, we can all agree that this is a man who lost his life in a very dehumanizing way. It was inhumane. Now, I'm fortunate enough to have been born at a time when I can honestly say I have enjoyed the fruit of the pain and suffering of my forefathers, those who fought during the civil rights movement, who have allowed me access to uh, education. Uh, I've, I've not known segregation per se. As I've gotten older, I become incredibly aware of systematic discrimination um, you know, many of us have those stories of us being women of color and people of color walking into a store and being followed around where the uh, supposition is that, oh, she's here. She's going to steal. <laughs> I remember in college, I actually uh, had a group of I went to one of those private Catholic colleges in upstate New York, not quite upstate, Riverdale, Bronx, College of Mount St. Vincent. And at that time, I was only one of 26 women of color on the whole campus. And there was a local drugstore there that was, it's, it's kind of like what CVS is today, but it wasn't quite called CVS. I forget the name of it, but it was a chain. And one time, a group of my white girlfriends, mostly Irish girls, uh, we all went to the store and these women proceeded while I was being followed around in the store. And all I was getting was ice cream, by the way. Uh, they walked out of there with so much makeup. Now, thank God I was being followed. Thank God I knew nothing of it. When we got back to the room, they were all giggling, giggling and emptying out their pockets. And they had all this cheap ass makeup uh, that they had pilfered. And that was a big, big lesson for me. Lesson number one, I am never hanging out with dumb bitches again, was what I said to myself, uh, or at least not going someplace in public with them in a situation where I, as the sole little black girl, would be looked at and accused of and punished in a way that is, uh, it would not fit any crime, whether I committed it or not. So that was a huge lesson for me on privilege, the privilege that my white girlfriends have had their entire lives. And they know it, too. And they knew it. And I wonder if I was perhaps a pawn. They knew that by going with me, uh, I'd be the one followed around. And they'd get to, you know, make out like bandits. So, you know what? Shame on you, dear company who has uh, hired people and have decided to institutionalize your prejudicism. Because these folks get to steal. Now, in the midst, I just sort of went off on a tangent right now, didn't I? In the midst of all of the uh, civil unrest, the uh, protest and everything, 
I started to think about how I can contribute to this conversation. And I'm about, as you know, one of my many missions in life is to educate in a way that isn't condescending, but in a way that allows you, the listener, or anyone who follows me or my platform, it's a privilege to have any platform, by the way, to have an insight as to how someone else may live, uh, what their stories are, what their expertise is. And when I couldn't come up with how I can help somehow, I am not one who can go protest only because I have a form of anxiety where crowds freak me out. So that wasn't my bag. So if you went out and marched and protested, I thank you. My children, my future children, thank you. I thank you. But I couldn't do it. And I also knew just like walking and screaming and just it wouldn't do anything, at least for me, for who I am. I'm pragmatic. I like to feel more proactive. I need tangible things. And for some reason, I started to reach out to some of our former guests. And uh, Mr. Tyrone Jackson, he was is the wealth advisor from one of our episodes way back. Uh, the Wealthy Investor is his website. He listened to me with a lot of compassion when I was sharing with him how I felt. And he said, you know what, Nadej? Sometimes you are called to just be an observer. And it's okay. It's okay to be an observer. Whatever it is that you are meant to be, do, contribute will come to you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. It may not be your time right now. What a beautiful way to put things in perspective for me. And wouldn't you know it that that gave me permission somehow to have many ideas as to what I can do. So this episode that you're about to listen to is one that came from Tyrone's permission telling me, just be an observer. I decided to wonder and find people, women, with somewhat similar experiences as mine, who happen to be in relationships with men of non-color, white men. They are married to them. It's about interracial love. And what makes it unusual at this time is because of the time we are living in right now. What are the conversations like between couples who are divided by race, not because of their relationship, but because of what's happening in our country right now? I was curious, is it affecting their relationship in a negative way or a positive way, are they growing apart or growing stronger? So I was able to gather four women whom I have a tremendous amount of respect for. The generation gap is fabulous only because we have someone who has been married for 30 years with the same partner from 30 years to seven years. So it's a nice, uh, we know they are solid, stable and committed. 
What the fuckery is interracial love? Well, we're about to find out. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm Nadej August, your host. And here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, experiences, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, my lover, my puppy, my kitten, my schmoopy, then thank you for being curious, open, willing, and dare I say, an ally, because you got to be an ally. If you are listening to What the Fockery and loving it. In that vein today, my guests, it's sort of round table style. It's a virtual meeting between four women and myself as the host who will be sharing their story. We have Shirley Jordan, Susan Dalian, Sean Richards, and finally, uh, last but not least, Mona Holmes, who actually... You will hear about it, but uh, an essay she wrote on KCRW inspired me in such a way that I had to seek her out and make her a new BF. F. <laughs> so our first guest, the woman I'm introducing now, is uh, Shirley. Shirley Jordan, who can currently be seen in Tyler Perry's Sisters on BET, Um I am just so moved and really, really grateful. I'm sitting virtually staring at four accomplished, beautiful African-American women who stand on their two feet in their own right. And I will go as far as to say that they are in relationship by choice. I hope. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) And to have them here to share what what it's like to be in a relationship, um, an interracial relationship, is, is quite an honor. It's an education that I'm looking forward to and a dialogue that I hope can open the minds and hearts and allow us an entree into um, the possibilities. Because relationships alone have their own challenges. Just the fact that we are different humans and we're coming together and then to have the added layer of, uh, of, of society and what society says and what's happening in the world or what's happening in our country specifically uh, with uh, some call it civil unrest. Um, some call it a reckoning. <laughs> I call it a shift. And when shift has to happen, shit happens. Um, so having said that, Shirley, Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thank you and welcome. Thank Shirley, you. How, how long have you been married now? 
Well, let's see. We started dating in 1983. We were together for seven years, and then we got married. And this week, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. What's his name? Jeff. Jeff. Um, What's the Reader's Digest version of your love story? It's got to be a good one. I mean, seven years, you tied the knot? Um, uh, We met working in a restaurant in New York. And we worked in that restaurant till the day it closed, although nobody told us it closed. Uh, so we continued to work there and uh, until everything went, no food, no nothing left over. And then we all kind of went on our merry way and he and I didn't. We kind of just hung out and continued to hang out. And, um, and uh, then he... This is cool. He was on a uh, cruise ship. He was a singer-dancer on a cruise ship. And he would call me every Wednesday evening. And then one Wednesday, he didn't call me. And he knocked on my door. And um, he showed up. And uh, that was it. We moved in. And um, the ball just kept rolling. And like I said, you know, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary just this week. And we have a 28-year-old son. My goodness. Does he still live at home? Uh, he moved in with his girlfriend. Oh, la, la. Yeah. Are you guys enjoying enjoying having the house to yourselves? Yeah, it's kind of nice. We've been using his room as a, a storage room. <laughs> so when he stops in every now and then, he goes to his room to get something. He's like, what is all this? What, what's all this shit in here? <laughs> oh, can I say that? <laughs> it's called what the fuckery. Of course you can say shit. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, he stops by every couple of weeks just to make sure that we're doing well and we have everything we need. And uh, he's a good boy. Ah, and do you have everything you need, Shirley? Absolutely, Aww. I do. What do you guys do for your thirtieth anniversary? Um, we ordered in, <laughs> and we uh, we binge watched the morning show, which was really good. And um, then the next uh, night, we had a little uh, gathering outside, uh, socially distanced with neighbors, and everybody bought their cocktails out, and we sat like all in our driveways in the middle of the street, and we just had a little, a little fun gathering. We haven't seen these people in a long time. It's, it's been nice just to see faces and hear laughter again. Mm. Um, so uh, we were able to do that, and that put a capper on it for us. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Yeah. We'll we'll circle back as I introduce my mm-hmm. next guest, our next guest. So this is sort of round table style. Um, this is Susan Dalian Patterson. Now, Susan is an accomplished actress. Uh, she's a director now. She produces stuff and she does a lot of voiceover work. And I'm we are staring at her virtually in her makeshift fancy fancy studio <laughs> she's lined and surrounded by blankets it's blankets <laughs> you look like you're in your mother's womb right now <laughs> i feel like i'm in my mother's womb it's very comforting <laughs> in here <laughs> it's warm and cozy <laughs> susan is did i miss anything about your intro oh let's say she's a mother she's a wife like the obvious things yes um uh just i just want to do a little name correction no no judgment but i it's the the patterson is my maiden name <gasps> dalian is my last name now from my first marriage but i just i co-opted the name 
And because it was a great name, I had to take something from that wreck of a marriage. So I took the name um, and made it my own. <laughs> so I'm Susan Dalian now, or Susan Patterson Dalian. Yeah. Okay. So just so let's just go with Susan Dalian. Yeah. Susie D. Yeah, there you go. Some people just call me Dalian. Oh, Dalian. Okay, because she dabbles. Uh, might I ask, I did not know this is like marriage number two for you. It's marriage yes. number two? Yes. Was the first also Caucasian? Yes, it was. All right. Well, at least you're consistent. <laughs> no, I'll get just that. worked out that way, girl. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been married? Um, we will be 15 in September. Oh, that's right around the corner. Yes, it is. Children? My, yeah, my child. We have one child, a uh, daughter, and she will be 14 in October. That's how oh. I always remember that, like, quick, because numbers screw me up all the time. So I'm like, we're always a year ahead of her, because we had her exactly a year after we got married. So Oh, nice. Straight that way. <laughs> so you guys were not drunk in your wedding night? Well, we, that I don't know. I mean, I, I can't really vouch for that. I'm pretty sure. No, we weren't. Actually, we had we eloped. Yeah. You did? Yeah, we eloped to Bali. Bali. <laughs> Bali. Peter's Digest version of your love story this time around. Yes, the second time around. Um, I well, I was divorced and uh, kissing a lot of frogs, and <laughs> I was not into. I was just. It was like marriage was the last thing on my mind, um, let alone a relationship. <laughs> um, and of some fr- well-meaning friends of ours, of uh, separate, we didn't know. Uh, said, hey, I have a, this friend you should meet. And um, he got it from his end. I got it from my end. And I kept hemming and hawing. I was like, I don't want a blind date. I don't want to meet some guy. I just don't want to do it. And he was the same way. He was like, no, I don't want to do a blind date. But we did. Finally, they broke us down. And we met at 11 o'clock at night because I wanted to have an excuse to leave in case the date was going badly. Um but we ended up staying out until the sun came up at the 101 Cafe right there in Hollywood, eating pancakes and breakfast and talking the entire night from the bar to the, to the place itself. So that was a blind date that turned out really well. Oh, wow. We are, we are forever indebted, of course, to our friends who introduced us. They're, they're our close friends. So Perfect. At, so at how soon after did you uh, elope to Bali and what made you elope? Um, So we, you know, we were dating before we moved in for a few years and we moved in together for about two years. And then that's when he proposed and we got married in 2005. Is that right? Yeah, 2005. And, you know, it was my second marriage and his first, but his first at, you know, 30 something years old, mid 30s. And he was never big on the wedding thing. Thank God because I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, this is his first wedding. He's going to want a big wedding. He's going to want to blow it out. And I was like, I can't do that again. I can't. Um, and he, I secretly, I finally had to tell him, I was like, yeah, can we have a really teeny tiny wedding? And he was like, yes, please. He's, I was like, can we invite like nobody? And he was like, yes, let's do that. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. So it was meant to be. And we told all our friends and of, of, of course, and family and they, they wished us well and said, yes, go, go to Bali, get married and come celebrate when you get back with us. And that's what we did. And it was, it, it was magical. It was a magical, magical, like we extended it to Hong Kong and China. So we visited all these places and 
It was amazing. That was money well spent. Because oh, that's yes. the kind of money that could be spent on a wedding. And mm-hmm. that is the way to go. I highly recommend it. First or second marriage. I really do. <laughs> there you have it, folks. You even get some recommendations on how to roll with your own weddings. <laughs> there you go. We're- we got to help the people. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Thank you, Susan. We'll get back to you in a sec. Sean, Sean Richards. She is, okay, so uh, listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, your host screwed up. I uh, sent the invite to Sean, unfortunately went to the wrong email address. And about 20 minutes ago before our appointed time, I text her to find out if she was set and uh, she didn't get anything. It turns out she's on the road in her car right now, uh, shopping with her husband for a new motorcycle. Exactly. And <laughs> so if you hear a ding, ding, ding of a car, listeners, forgive Sean. It's her husband who's intruding because that's how he rolls, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Sean, I know Sean because through the, you know, she's an actress as well, a dancer, choreographer. What else have you not done? I've done everything that I can do. Okay. So um, I've actually even seen, I'm waving at the ambulance right now because they're just driving by, but um, I've done pretty much everything that it's in entertainment, whether it's on camera, off camera, interview you mentioned the morning show and actually i just interviewed uh one of the actresses on there karen so um amazing amazing so you're a amazing. host as well host every everything exactly everything fantastic mm-hmm. how long have you been married and what's your hubby's name my husband husband's name is carrie and we've been married it's going to be seven years august 8th but i'd like to say 10 together because we, the first date we had, which was August 8th, we ended up getting married August 8th, three years later. So that was, that was the plan. So we did like a, one of those things. We met on Match.com, actually. Ooh. So, yes, we met on Match.com. He was, um, he's from Boston. So he had sent me a couple of emails that I thought were kind of rude because I'm not into the Boston Red Sox. I'm a Yankee fan. So I deleted him and never responded because anybody from Boston has got to be trash. So I never replied. And then he kept emailing me trying to make jokes. And I was like, I'm not interested. So then finally I said, okay, he's very consistent. Let me reply back. We spoke on the phone. I had the timer set for 20 minutes. and then. I got off the phone and we went on a date that Sunday, which was August 8th. And pretty much, I mean, the, the rest is history. I met his friends. We rode on a motorcycle the second date. So this is all kind of going into the realm of what we're about and, um, and got married three years later. Exactly. He proposed about a year later. Did year you guys later. live together before marriage? Not, not until I got the engagement ring. Once I got the engagement ring, I because I still had my apartment off of Sunset, and I did not want to get rid of my apartment. And so he had got a show, producing a reality show out of town. And so he was like, well, listen, come with me. Um, we'll take care of your apartment while you're gone. And 
during that time, I ended up staying and he came back and proposed and he got rid of everything in my apartment for me. And then I moved in with him. And it freaked me out because I'd never lived with anybody before. So moving in, it's been great though. I love living with him. He's one of like, I can't imagine, I, like I freaked out like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I've never lived with, and then you had a roommate. So this is really a big deal. And within three months, I was like happy in love, like skipping around, like, yay, you know? So it's been great. So you got it right the first time out of the gate. That's a lot of meditation, sage, and, and prayer, okay? That's what happened. See, this show covers everything. You know to mar- elope and make a big old world tour out of it. Now you know you have to meditate, sage, and say a lot of prayers to get yourself one. And get your whole apartment cleansed. Serious, it works. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sean. And finally, our last host is, I mean, host, guest. My last guest that I'm introducing is Mona, Mona Holmes. Now, Mona, since 2017, is a reporter for Eater Los Angeles, where she covers restaurants, bars, and hospitality throughout SoCal, also known as Southern California. She's a native. She's from Pasadena, California. Uh, Her coverage includes restaurant regulations, gentrification, cannabis food industry and local food politics who knew politics were even involved with food Um, from street vending to plastic straw band and uh, she's also a regular contributor to kcrw's show greater la mona welcome hi oh mona you are surrounded by performers, actresses, and all that jazz. You're going to have to bring it. Oh, yeah. Reporters don't bring it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we bring it. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. This is, this is great. I, uh, I, it's so nice to see all these faces. Right, and hearing these great stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And before we even jump into what the common denominator here is, let us hear how long you've been married and what the Reader's Digest version of your love story is. On the 7th of July, it'll be our 13-year wedding anniversary. 13? Uh, 13. Lucky 13, okay. Lucky 13, but we were born on, we were married on 7-7-2007, which I consider very lucky. Um... And, uh, but we met in 2003, so we met four years prior and I'll just jump right into how we met, um, at a funeral, actually. Um, my, uh, we had, I had a very, very dear friend who died very early from a heart attack and, um, Craig was at the funeral and my friend who passed away happened to be gay. There were tons of men at that funeral all that I knew. And he was there with his best friend. So I naturally thought that he was gay too. Um, and, but we just clicked. Like we just, I thought that I would just have another really good friend to hang out with. I mean, when I say we clicked, like we, we thoroughly like music, culture. Um, I have a, uh, my husband's also Canadian. And so there's a sensibility about him that, that, is very different from Americans, even though it seems like Canadians are the same as us here. They're not. Um, and, um, but he kept calling me (laughs) after that. And, um, and I think I was camping around and like, just saying something like girl. And he was just like, I'm straight. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm straight. And I, and I said, I am so sorry. And he's like, I don't take it as an insult. I, he said, I like, I like women. I like you. And, um, and I was just like, I was so taken aback by his, his easiness and his boldness and comfort in his own skin. And, um, that, you know, I, I mean, I lived in DC at the time. I thought that my next, my husband was going to be a six foot six black man. I knew it. Um, and I found this 5'10 Canadian guy who's just the sweetest guy ever, whose kindness is what, and his ability to make me laugh is what appeals to me most. So yeah, that's Craig. That's a great love story. What a great story. Ladies, do we agree? <laughs> I, I'm unmuting all at this yes. point. Yes, we, I, that was awesome. I'm like the clamped over here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you use that term. He's also Jewish. Ah, I was see? going to ask. <laughs> I was going to ask. Who else is, has a Jewish husband? I do. Yay. Sean, <laughs> that is. Yes, yes, I do. Um, so, <clears throat> Mona, I do have your permission to read this, this article that you, okay. You. So, listeners and uh, ladies, we, a friend of mine forwarded this, uh, this is how I met Mona. He forwarded this article that uh, it's, uh, Mona wrote something about, oh gosh, what's the title of it, Mona? I'm so sorry. Uh, actually, that's a good question. I forgot what the title is, but it was an essay for KCRW that they asked me to write. They asked me to. Oh, here we go again. Something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Because she's, you're a native. And you were around during the Rodney King riots, you remember them, in 1992. So Mona's entire essay is about that experience tied with, you know, with George Floyd and and all that has happened. Um, I I will have the link, by the way, to to that article in the show notes, listeners. I would urge you to just read it. It's an easy read. It's poignant. And listen, it's also on audio. It, that's right. It is. It is from uh, Shatekis's Greg Shatekis. What's his name? Yeah, it is. Shatekis, yeah, his show. His show. So you can also hear it instead of read it if you don't like reading. Um, <laughs> and uh, not only is it poignant, it 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 brought me to what it must have been like in 1992 here in Los Angeles. But the passage that really struck me that made me feel that I absolutely had to have Mona as part of this this uh, round table is the following. So after she just sort of explained uh, where she was and what's happening and how uh, Ahmaud Aubrey's killing and George Floyd's and all of the horrific details, she starts with this. My husband and I have argued a lot in the past three months. He's been away in New York taking care of his sister who is sick. The distance and isolation amplifies things. Those little things I let go, but still bother me. I don't always have the bandwidth to address longstanding problems in real time, but there's an added edge to our talks, which are mostly on video chat. For the first time in 17 years, I don't look forward to speaking with him. I hate that. I'm not sure that a kind, loving white guy from Toronto can fully understand the magnitude of what I'm experiencing right now. And I don't have the emotional strength to express it, even now with the person I love the most. I'm too tired to share what's happening from my eyes and from my soul. 
He knows plenty, though. He knows about the times when servers or restaurant owners are dismissive to me when I'm just doing my job as a food reporter. He's witnessed what occasionally happens when entering a restaurant as a couple. We might walk in the door together, but the host doesn't assume we are a party of two. That got me. Um, because... Again, it's the idea of a relationship being having its challenges to begin with, right? As humans, I mean, when you say you don't always uh, have the bandwidth to address longstanding problems, that has nothing to do with race. So there alone, there's already something that as a human being, you struggle with. And now it's this external, exterior thing that's happening in the world that affects you because of your skin color. And now you're coupled with someone who may or may not understand, and you're pretty sure does not understand at this point, what all the layers, the intricacies that are involved in doing what, in, in living and just being who we are as, as a race, so to speak, right? So, um, and then we have this little bit of a history of how, he has witnessed a little bit of it. He's, cat, he's caught glimpses of what it's like. Um, I don't even know where I want you to start, Mona, because <laughs> I'm going to just let you um, share with, with, with us, where are you now with all of this, with him? Have you sat and, and shared? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, just for, for context, he's been in New York his sister was going through chemo and radiation therapy. She's better now. Yay. Um, and he decided to go there in March 3rd, just for a few weeks of, of helping her out. And we all know what happened in March. And then he decided to stay. Um, because I have a man who values family. Um, I, I do believe that I also have a man who is highly sensitive to things that are not in his sphere of influence, his sphere of knowledge. Um, and so he's the type of man when he sees some stuff happening, he, you know, with me or outside in the world, he has the sense to like kind of stand back and observe or ask questions or just listen. Um, but yeah, he's a, I'd, I'd say that early on, he noticed the whole thing with restaurants and walking into them and, you know, and it's like, and the host always says, oh, I'm sorry, I, I thought the two of you weren't together. And even though we walked in holding hands um, or clearly into each other um, and, um, you know, and, and he definitely noticed when other friends were ready to excuse it saying like, well, maybe it's just because the two of you are so unique looking together. Maybe that was it. And I'm just like, and I just kind of, you know, I was just a little bit quiet and he was just like, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> you know, he's, there, there is one thing about Canadians, like they, they can be very direct, very, very rational. They like to call themselves. Um, but he's just like, no, that's, that's just not it. Um, you know, he also had the luxury of meeting my entire family. When I say my entire family, I think there were about 35 of us, um, uh, was taught by my grandmother's sisters how to play spades in a, in a house where there were no white people for miles. Um, and luckily he knows how to play Trump games. 
Um, and so him, him and my uncle, my father's brother, cleared the table for three hours. It was amazing. And I feel like that was quite an introduction <laughs> into being completely immersed in black culture, where oftentimes hanging out with my family, he's the only white person until all of my first cousins, with the exception of one, wound up marrying white people. <laughs> um, and which has caused a shift in the family for sure. Um, but it's nice that he has the sense to listen and observe and, and also call people out on their BS. So I consider myself very lucky in that regard. Yeah. He sounds like you're, you're the ultimate uh, protector. You've yeah. never had to point anything out to him. He, he's always. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. <laughs> that same meeting, learning how to play spades with my family. Um, he did say to my cousin um, that he uh, said, oh, well, I'm colorblind. Um, and, um, and, and it happened to be in a room where, uh, so this cousin is also like, he's got a PhD in um, gender and, and LGBTQ studies and, and also very fiery. And he was just like, what do you mean by that? And I wanted to jump in and rescue him because, you know, this was a lot all at once, spades saying this, you know, I don't see color. Um, but I didn't. And I, I feel like he handled himself very well in the same way that I just described where he basically, you know, just shut up and listen. And he was just like, wow, Kwame was totally right. Um, so yeah, he's, he's messed up. And, and I feel like there's the mess ups had a lot more to do with me as a woman rather than me being a black woman. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? You know, a man is a man. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've dated the entire rainbow coalition and men are men in so many ways that are just like, they'll just never be able to understand. And, you know, and certain topics where it's just like, do you know what I mean? And he's just like, no, I don't, I'm not a woman. And I just, I just can't ever really, but I'll try my hardest to. Um, but, but yeah, has he messed up? Sure. Is he willing to work on those things where he's messed up? Absolutely. He, he will. Thank goodness. Right. Stuff that we, couldn't, we couldn't do hang out. <laughs> um, <laughs> ladies, the, my other guests, do you have any sort of uh, similar stories or anything that Mona is saying that is striking you as, oh yeah, I've had to correct the whole colorblind issue or yeah, Susan? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because literally moments before, uh, maybe like 45 minutes ago before we started the uh, talking, um, my husband and I had a very deep emotional talk that had nothing to do with me coming on the show, mind you. It was just a video I had seen of, um, I'm sure you guys have seen it at this point of, maybe you haven't, of the, um, there's a black family, a man and his two kids are in a car. And I think, I don't remember what state they're in, but the little girl is probably a 13-year-old in the back seat. She's videotaping it. They're in Spokane, Washington. Spokane. So you've seen it. Yes. I and saw it. The, yeah. It's, it's horrifying. These white people are trying to block this man from driving his car. The woman nice saying, car. Nice car. And the woman is saying on the outside, the white woman, get With no teeth. My car. No, With yeah. a meth. She's a meth head. Yeah. Yeah. This is my car. 
And he's like screaming, get the F out of the way, get out of the way. Yeah. And she will not get out. And then she has uh, like, you know, her zombie league starts coming in. Other people show up, a guy threatening with his hand in his front shirt, like he has a um, standing in front of his car, like he has a gun. The kids are terrified in the car. They are screaming. And the father is got, he's like, lock the doors. He can't go. There comes another guy. He tries to get in the door. It is just, it goes on way too long. It's horrible. But what struck me was hearing the girl in the back seat because she sounded exactly like my daughter. I mean, it was like I was hearing my daughter's voice. And I had to cut the video off and I was just had to sit down and I was just like, my heart was racing and I was just, I, I was terrified. I was in my house, but I was terrified as if this was something that was happening to me because I knew this could be something that is happening to me. And everything just came to me in that moment. And I was just chilled to the bone. My husband uh, walked in or whatever, a few hours later. And I said, Hey, I got to show you something. So I showed him this video and he was, of course, horrified. And I was getting emotional and started crying. And I was like, you know, and his first reaction, you know, this goes to what Mona was saying is like, he wants to protect me. You know what I mean? Like, that's always what he wants to do. That's why I married him. I, he, is a, he is a kind man who has a, a, a deep, beautiful soul. And I knew that this was the man I should marry because I was like, this man wants to protect me. And that's and, and not that I need protecting, but, you know, all the time. He knows that I will, you know, he knows who I, he married um, and that I can take care of myself. But, you know, you want there's a part of us as a, as sometimes I won't, you know, flatline this for all women. But I needed that. I, I needed a little bit of that in my my relationship. So he always wants to do that. And he tr he went to do that in this moment. And I just, you know, I was like, I can't have you rationalize why these people were doing. I mean, not that he was trying to rationalize. He was just trying to protect me by saying, you know, those people are crazy. They're not all white people. I mean, he knows I know this, you know, but in that moment, I needed something else from him. I didn't need that protection. I needed solidarity. I needed you know, maybe it was a men's from Mars, women's from Venus, women are from Venus moment too. But it was also there was a racial component to it in that in that moment that I couldn't quite get to him. And it was emotional trying to get it to him because he just kept coming from it from a point of view of protection, of seeing that my I was affected by it. And it just spun off into a whole deep dark. And we've been having a lot of deep darks. We've been coming through it because we can have these these conversations, he and I. And he is an enlightened person and he is open. But whew. let me ask you this. Do you think that the bulk of what you started to feel has to do with the fact that that little girl reminded you of your own daughter and how vulnerable and unsafe she is. That's exactly what it was. I mean, and were you able to communicate that to him? Yes, but he then translated that into, well, then we're never coming here again. And we have to, you know, and I was like, hold on, nobody, you know, like, I get why he wants to say that, you know, like, and when I say we're never coming here again, he was, it was more like, he was like, well, 
I don't want that to happen to you. Where's is, would that happen to you somewhere? Where, if it's happening to you where we live, let's move. You know, if it's happen, if these things like this are happening, because I started telling him about. You know, he knows. I we talk about this all the time. I tell him my experiences when I feel, you know, the prejudice in my face on a daily basis since I've been born because I am black. <laughs> you know. Um, but he always he wants to fix it. He's like, well, then we should. And I have to tell him we can't fix that. I there's no place on the planet we can go. <laughs> I don't want to go. I'm not. I don't want to run away. You know, mm. that's not the solution. And he knows that. But I know the comment. Just like it, I have that that fear in that moment. His his moment of what can I do is let me fix this right now. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Right. So and yeah. this won't. You know, like. I, and I'd like, I think he'd like to believe that this wouldn't happen to Maya, my daughter and I, but I know that it can. Unfortunately. And that's my fear. And that's what I was trying to express to him that I have this fear of this happening to us mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. And he wants to fix it by saying that we would just move if that ever happens. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, so far in this country, no matter where you go, there it is. Yes. And like I said, he knows that. He know he he is not an unenlightened person. Right. But that so th- was just his reaction. Yeah, there are your instincts and then there's what society is sort of dictating and and yeah. having us have happen and have an awareness about. Um Shirley, did you have something? My son was born uh a couple of days before the Rodney King riots. And um, that was a whole nother thing unto itself. Um, he was uh, premature. He was four pounds. He had to stay in the hospital. And uh, the hospital was down on Wilshire. And um, so every day we had to drive back and forth through some of those horrible corridors with fires and, and lootings and, and just gangs of people. And uh, this particular day was the day when the gentleman was pulled out of his truck and beaten with a fire extinguisher. And so as we're driving, my husband says to me, um, you know, if they stop the car and they pull me out, I want you to keep driving because our son's going to need at least one parent. And I'm like, dude, Wrong time to say that. I'm I'm going through postpartum. I'm going through everything, and uh, and now on on top of this, and I was like, okay, but again, that's we're back to that protection thing, and um, and he's been my, like my family for thirty years, so he's seen it all. He he's played cards with everybody. He's played Indian poker with my my great aunt, and I've got pictures of them just sitting around with cards on their forehead. It's it's sweet. Um, and he's also um, watched me being followed as I walk through stores um, just because I'm walking through a store. And he knows exactly what this pe- these people are doing, and he will follow them just to make sure that he's seeing what he's seeing and that I'm going to be okay. And, um, you know, at one point he did after... I- Five minutes of this, he walked up to the guy who was following me and said, excuse me, have you seen my wife? I've seemed to have lost her in the store. And he's like, uh, what does she look like? Oh, she's about 5'3", a light-skinned woman. Um, uh, she's got like a little afro. She's wearing an orange shirt. And, and he's like, no, no, haven't seen her, haven't seen her. Uh, but yet he's been following me around the store. And I made sure of that because I would duck into another aisle 
and he would come around after me and I could see him in the mirrors. But so anyway, and, um, but when our son turned a little older, we were camping with some friends and um, a lot of interracial couples. And uh, a couple of the men were sitting around the campfire and they said to my husband, so, so have you had the talk with your son yet? And he's like, the talk. And he says, uh, yeah, we, 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 he knows what to do with women. He knows how to treat them. He says, no, 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 not that talk. The talk about what happens if he gets pulled over by a cop because he will be perceived as black. And my husband was like, wow, I, that didn't really occur to me. And so uh, luckily he had a few mentors around that campfire, told him what to say, how to say it. And um, he had that talk. And ever since then, he's been really inquisitive about um, what goes on in our lives uh, and, and how we're both affected by what goes on in my life. And um, luckily for us, we've never had any, any problems with either side of the family or any friends or family looking at us saying, what are you two doing together? It's always been very much a, a, a loving situation from everyone. And I think that has an awful lot to do with him because he is so willing to be a great partner. And in doing that, he feels he has to learn what he needs to know in order to be a, a, a support, in order to be there for his family. Uh, and yeah, I, I love that about him. He's so so giving. He's so... It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and we have talks about, you know, my ancestors and what they must have gone through. I came in the other day and he was watching um, a, a thing on slavery. And you know, he's, he's, um, he's very well read. He's very well educated in this. And he, he spent hours talking to my mother when she was alive and just, you know, pulling stuff out of her brain what happened when you were a girl and when you grew up and how was life then compared to now. And so he's always been on top of this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just so grateful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Sean. Yes. So for us, I mean, we, we, you know, my husband being from Boston, um, I think he's always been very immersed in like black culture anyway, as far as, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but he told from what I was told by his mom that he was going to, he would watch BET growing up and was like, I'm going to marry a black woman. Now I find that to be hysterical because he calls himself the king of R&B. Okay, when I say the King Arby, he knows the B-sides to new edition songs that I don't know, okay? This is the husband I married. And so he's very uh, immersed in Black culture, but not in a culture vulture way. This is somebody who is respects the culture. We live in a predominantly uh, per people of color neighborhood. So he was the first white guy on the block before he and I were together. You know, he would go to places. There was this place called, what was the club, the bar, the cork over on uh, Adams. And he would go there just to hang out and chill and have fun. So for me, moving into the neighborhood, it was just like fine. Like us walking around, we say hi to, you know, everybody knows him. 
And then he, you know, he and I get married. So for us, it's just, he's, I have never, it's never been like, he's used to being the only white guy, you know, but his friends are all nationalities. You know, he works in the entertainment industry as well. But, um, so for us, go ahead. Has there ever been an instance where, like, from the other stories we've heard, I've heard so far from my from my other, our other lady guests, um, an instance where there was a need to protect you because someone on the outside was doing something that was clearly prejudiced against you? You've been fortunate, and that's okay. Listen, that's I've been great. fortunate. I have a funny story. So we were at the cork. cork the cork at the time was open and it's like a very um it's like it's like a hole in the wall club but it's a black owned club they play all black music from zap you know what i mean to like you know they play old school stuff so we're sitting there hanging out having a ball they're playing like 80s 90s and you know early 2000s and we're like probably on like and i think we've been dating like maybe a few months and we're like at the bar like hanging out and this black guy comes over to us and he was like, yo, I just want to tell y'all, I know y'all in love. Like, I love to see it. Like, it was so nice. Like, he totally was, and, and he looked like the type that maybe it could have went another way. And he went, he came over to us I could tell y'all in love. Like, you know, I love to see it. Like, it was, it was really nice. So we've been really fortunate. And I'm always, I always have my, you know, black eyes on. Like, I'm always observant you know how many people in the restaurant were they gonna poison my food like i'm into that stuff you know i really no y'all laughing in the back no seriously when we were in baton rouge when he was shooting a project i was literally looking to see how many interracial couples i could count because i wanted to know if that was the restaurant i wanted to eat my food in you know what i mean so for me i'm always i I don't have the rose i come from new york so i always have real glasses on, not rose-colored glasses. And we've been really lucky, really lucky. I don't know if, you know, my husband just looks like, you know, like chill homeboy. I don't know what it is, but we've had situations like that from Black people, um, all nationalities, like, oh, y'all are so cute, things like that. So, So it's all that staging and prayer and meditation. It all worked. Look at that. I burn it every week, y'all playing. So ladies, very specifically, in light of all that is happening right now, I mean, we seem to have gotten a little bit of a breather uh, in terms of the demonstrations in Los Angeles, at least. In case listeners, you haven't figured it out, all the places that have been referred to, like the Adams and the Corks and the Pasadenas and all these cities, they're all in Los Angeles. So um, please don't feel excluded. Um, what are the conversations, what are they like now? Because it's a very specific time in our history as well. Are they, are they adding, I, I feel that people are either getting closer or pulling apart or growing closer or growing apart as a result of all that is happening that is outside of our control. Are there any things that that comes to mind in terms of convos that you're having? Um, I mean, this was another sort of moment born out of that conversation with my husband um, that we had earlier. And, you know, I, I, I had posted something on um, Facebook 
am, I don't post a lot of like just statement stuff on Facebook. I just use it for promotion mostly. <laughs> and um, but you know, I just felt like right now in these last few weeks that I, especially when this right was all this upheaval was happening, that I needed it was my time to really sort of use my voice and and just make it clear to people who I am because. For the last few years, I've mostly navigated, I would say, a predominantly white world. Um, but I always know I am black. And <laughs> I mean, I, I and it's hard to forget, by the way, it is. It is. But it's also hard for people to remember that about me, too. You know, and I don't want anybody to forget that about me. You know, like I I. Don't ever try to hide. I can't hide it. <laughs> I don't, you know, but I think because I talk a certain way sometimes, you know, I might, the, the way I just naturally speak, my speaking voice might make people think other things. You know, I, I, it's happened again all my life. I grew up in Baltimore and I went to private schools, but I lived in the inner city and I had to straddle two worlds, a predominantly white world that I went to school and a predominantly black world that I lived in, including my obviously my family and my extended family. Um, so I've known this about myself all my life, but I just felt like it's time to really as an uh, let people know that this is who I am. I am I, I am very well aware of my blackness so what is it that you posted on Facebook, Susan? Yeah, yeah. I posted how uh, this isn't going to be any more in, in – I'm not accommodating any longer, you know? Um, and not that I accommodate all the time, but there are times that I, 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 I've i done it where I'm like, yeah, I didn't really have to do it then. I should have said something. That's not happening anymore, you know? Now you're just going to speak your mind. Yeah. Call it what it is when you call yeah. it. You know, it's interesting because I think I understand what you're trying to say. My experience has been uh, since the George Floyd and and Black Lives Matters, the very recent uh, uh, demonstrations and protests, um, I've, I've come to the realization that I just might be the only Black friend to many, many friends. And that's a burden in and of itself. So you're saying accommodating, it makes me realize that I may have been accommodating because it makes it okay for you to feel like, oh, Nadej is who I can call and ask all of these questions. And some of it's a little like, are you kidding me right now? Or just like certain things that people will say, you know, like, you know, like I, I, this isn't a good friend who said that this is a coworker and we were having a conversation and this is years ago. And she said, well, but you're not like, you know, like, like other black people. And I was like, we've oh, all heard that. Haven't hold we? On a sec. Yes. I was like, hold on a sec. And I did, I did you, I, I, I was not accommodating in that moment. <laughs> I assure you. I, I, I was like, well, what exactly do you mean? I always, it's always a question. Explain that, you know, where, cause I, I'm not going to just jump down somebody's throat. I, they come from where they come from. And this, this young girl clearly did, did not grow up around many black people. You know, and I don't know what was in her mind, what the image of what most black people were, but I, I did not accommodate in that moment. But but there's been other times where things like that have had have have happened, and I have been accommodating. But I'm not doing that anymore. I you know I'm going to ask more. I'm going to step in with the questions more. Good. Have I know with. Oh, I was going to say I know with me, um, I 
my husband's family, they've all been, you know, protesting and being very supportive. Um, the white friends that I have have been very woke. But I do find that the friends that they have, like the white friends that they have, I've had to jump on some people's threads and 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 school folks, but in a way of, I'm not your research butler, get a book, get a YouTube, go to it. No, I'm not a research butler. I'm not doing volunteer work right now. You are a college educated person, then you need to do your own research. But I will correct you if you say something, because sometimes I feel like if I see something and I've already commented, you know, sometimes you get the notification and my friends, my, I have to say my white friends are about it. They are dragging people, deleting people. But sometimes I'm like, let me just do a little bit of something before you cut them off. And I've had to do that with a couple of people. I said to someone the other day, like she was saying, you know, it's really unfortunate that the white man has done so much to people who are not white men. And I said, well, actually, white women were very, very uh, involved in white supremacy. So, and then she, I think it took her about eight hours to reply. And when she replied, she said, you know, you are right. I didn't. She said, I hope you don't think I, what I wrote was that, you know, white women were not complacent. And I said, well, it sounded like that. Yeah. You know, but this is not my friend. This is another friend's friend. So I have to say, you know, but I'm not a research butler. I'm not going to be a research butler for you. You have to get it together yourself and educate yourself. Ladies, we have to get t-shirts that say, I am not your research butler. Oh my God. I love research butler. I'm stealing oh. it. Yeah, <laughs> we're all going to be using research yeah, butler. Thank right. you, Sean. Mona. Do that. Oh my God. I mean, in the time that it takes you to pick up your phone and go to Google and look up how to be, I don't know, a couple of phrases, how to be an ally, how to be, you know, there are many things that you could search or things that I could read about racial awareness or something. Um, and I feel like that reveals more of a, a mindset that has to do with the curiosity about different things that are different from you are about, you know, how, you know, when, even when I was, I'm a history buff. That's part of the reason why I went into journalism. Um, but, you know, I'm curious about certain things, especially when I started to learn that the history that I was taught wasn't a hundred percent accurate. And so when you realize that you have to go down that rabbit hole a little bit more and realize what else didn't I learn? What, why was I taught it this way? Um, you know, I feel like people just completely get stopped there and there's a lack of willingness to go there because after I wrote my essay on KCRW, um, or rather prior to it, I kept getting, <sighs> messages from people saying like, oh, um, so where can I read? What should I read first? What should I do? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I don't know if you realized it, but like this, you're a part of this too. Are you okay with any of this? And so don't check on me. Like, how are you doing with all of this? And, and my husband has always been more of the observer on social media. He just looks to see what his friends and family are doing, and that's how he rolls. I totally respect it. Um, but in the last month, he has taken the step, which is unprecedented, <laughs> of posting things that that people should hear, that mostly 
non-black people should hear um, from uh, poems to, um, you know, like all kinds of, you know, his own perspective saying like, you know, I can't believe that you guys haven't read this. I can't believe you haven't read Howard Zinn's books yet. Um, you know, like just kind of really stepping in and doing a little bit more than being a casual observer on the side. Um, and I'm grateful that I didn't have to ask him to do that because I, I was hoping that he would because I feel like he can make more of a difference than I can because, you know, I mean, we've all been talking about police brutality and, and discrimination. And even in my industry, the lack of amplifying black voices in media um, but no one seems to believe us. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. And, and he was just like, I feel like people will probably listen to me more. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. So I'm grateful for that. But just the lack of the general lack of like wanting to take that next step into learning more about all of this is the thing that absolutely blows me away and sometimes kind of destroys me. Like, like days like that one kid in Colorado who was killed a year ago by the cops, who was just this very odd bird, you know, probably somewhere on the autistic spectrum, who seemed like the loveliest, sweetest kid. Yeah, Eugene. No chance. Oh my God. I, that, that moment had me on the couch in a ball, just like, and my husband called me and he was like, are you okay? And I said, I'm not. And I just, I just bawled my eyes out and just, you know, I didn't know how to extract myself from that. And, um, and Craig had to remind me, he said, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And he said, you need to get your rest so that I can help support you into going back there and uh, back going back out there and fighting. So, so here's what I'm going to do. And he listed off like all these things that I need to do. He's like, okay, so you got some, uh, some tea, you got some, like, have you eaten? And I'm like, no. And he was like, well, <laughs> you know, can you do that so <laughs> that you can feel better? I'm like, okay, got it. And I'm grateful for it. Um, thank God. <laughs> but he's, he has been there during moments like that or after Trayvon Martin or after Tamir Rice, um, you know, where I've just been feeling like I was broken and helpless <laughs> and, you know, not having a lot of faith in the world. And so thank God that he has witnessed all of that over the years and been able to support me through it. Amazing. Amazing. Um, <clears throat> So you're still alone. He's still in New York right now, Mona? He comes home on Monday after four Yay. months. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll be sure not to check in on with you. I'm you're going to be a little too busy. I am deleting all social media off of my phone. And, you know, I took off a week from work. So, so oh. yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, you know what? It sounds like you are in a much better place than you were when you wrote that portion of the... Oh, my God. I was so yeah. angry. <laughs> I was so angry yeah. and I, I had to express it. And I, I, I'm grateful for KCRW because, you know, I was asked by another publication to write something and it felt like, and they didn't know me at all. And it felt like they were coming along to ask me to write something because I was the only black food writer that they knew. And, and it felt wrong from the get and, and it, and it wound up not, going very well. And I actually wound up killing the story because um, it just didn't feel right. But KCRW has me on twice a month. And, and they're like, can you put aside your food reporter hat and just write anything you want from the heart? And, uh, and they're like, you're an LA resident and you know, we value your voice. We have for a year and a half. So can you 
write this? And I said, yeah, of course. And that's what made all the difference. They, they just didn't ask me on because I happen to be this black food writer. They already put my voice on there, which is why it's a station that I believe in. And, and I didn't feel tokenized at all. Thank God. Um, but yeah, I'm in a much better place. And also too, it helps that my husband's coming home. Yes, of course. Um, KCRW is uh, publicly supported. Correct. So listeners, KCRW, consider that. Consider donating. I love I love NPR and all its affiliates, which KCRW <laughs> is one of, right? Um, they are. They're amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I w- I'm going to have all everyone's social media, the ones that you want me to share with our listeners on. So that way, if they want to follow you or send you a specific question, this is for all of you ladies, a specific question. They can either follow you or send you messages or they can message through me. Uh, uh, Shirley, did you want to say something? Yes, I just wanted to uh, dovetail on something you said earlier about being the only black friend a lot of people have. I, when this whole thing started, I started getting a lot of emails, a lot of texts, um, a lot of people checking in on Facebook from around the country, like, how are you? You know, and one of them actually was, you know, can I call you? Because I I don't know if I've been offending African-American people my whole life by doing things or saying things. And, and I just want to make sure I don't continue to do any of these bad habits that I may have been doing. But I don't know. I mean, you know, would you talk to me about what I can do to, to help, um, you know, African-Americans have a, a, a better, you know, uh, way of life? And, and I was like, wow, that's a loaded question. And uh, do you have like that much time? Uh, because we we could talk for years on this subject. Um, but uh, it was it was it's very interesting. And um, I I noticed like the moment well, there was one evening where uh, L.A. was supposed to go out and stand on their front. Uh, lawn and shine their flashlight up into the sky and light up the sky in honor of, of Mr. Floyd. And um, so I went out and I did that. I stood there and I looked up and down my street and I was the only flashlight out there. And um, the next thing I know, I'm looking up and I, I see little flashlights coming on like up and down the street and then they're getting bigger and bigger and they all converged on my lawn. And they all stood with me. And I, I was so, it, it was just overwhelming. Um, it was lovely. And we didn't talk about it. You know, we just stood there for our, our, the time. And, um, and then when it was over, one of, one of my neighbors said, I wish I could hug you right now, but this is my six-foot hug. And, you know, did the virtual thing. And then we went on to talk about just our lives in general. Not, we didn't get into the, the depth of what was going on because, again, we hadn't seen each other in God knows how long. And it, we just wanted to say hi from the heart, you know. And how are you really? I know how you are with this, but how are you? You know, and we connected in a, in a very, very lovely way. And uh, it was, for me, a very poignant evening that I will never forget. And um, the next day I was out, uh, I, I was planting my backyard. And I have one of those big, ugly black buckets. 
And I didn't want it to be an ugly black bucket. I wanted to paint it. So I got this plastic paint and I've got it set on a newspaper and I'm spray painting it this bright yellow and the wind blows the newspaper up and it sticks to the bucket and I can't peel it off except in pieces. And I noticed the newspaper was obviously very current. And what I decided to do when my husband helped me, we got all our current newspapers and we decoupaged the outside of this big, ugly black bucket with COVID, with the, the, the marches, with everything. And it's like a beautiful little time capsule. And it's sitting there in the backyard. And it's got, if you want to read about it, it's right there. And as we went through the newspapers, we were able to talk about, oh, look at this article. Yeah, let's cut that out. And we would talk about all the things that we would see in the newspapers. And, you know, we had a very, very wonderful discussion that day uh, about everything in the forefront. And, and now I've got it, you know, commemorized in my backyard, which is, and I look at it every day and I, you know, and I, I just say a prayer. You know. Amazing. It, you know, you're in, in, in your sharing, so many things come to mind. The idea of community mm-hmm. and a true allyship, like these folks who showed up and, and, and they congregated on your lawn. That's uh, being an ally. That's community. You know, it's, it's, um, there's a concept, and I, I'm by no means a, a professor on Judaism, nor do I know much, but I know some. Um, it's like sit and shiva with someone. And that's yeah. kind of like what they did for you in a way, right? How are you doing? I'm, I just want to be present with you. So while, and I want my listeners to please understand that none of us here are saying that we are offended or upset every time one of you, if you assuming you're Caucasian, reach out to a person of color, BIPOC specifically, to ask for guidance, we're not offended by it at all. Right, ladies? No, not at all. We're just a little taken aback at how little you've known all along. I personally am grateful that you are all now wanting to do something and be by our side and, and, and you know, sit Shiva with us, hold our hands when we're ready. Susan, yes. Yeah. And I think also what adds to that is that a little bit of speaking to what Mona said is that it's the shock of like, like a part of me is like, do you not even know that people actually write books about this? (laughs) Like, like it, you know, again, you know, it's, that's part of it. Like calling and asking, you know, and what should I do? It's like, a part of me is like, God, do they really not know well, that there's, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. just sort of like, wow. You know, and in a way we can, we can, like, this would be a different topic altogether. I, I almost want to blame our education system because we were, we as African-Americans were forced, forced to study their history. And at home is when I, my parents made me aware of my own history. So in a way, the government, the system itself, did not set them all up to know as much naturally. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that could be part of it too. Go ahead, Mona. Is curiosity, uh, you know, like real genuine curiosity a part of our education system? 
or you know what I mean? Or is that just something that's in you or something that maybe a family member or a friend has taught you? Because I've done the work. I wasn't, I wasn't born like this. I did not wake up like this. Um, you know, it took my own understanding of certain things and events and moments and culture. And, um, you know, it's, it, it took a while for me to really get a strong sense of the world that I know. Um, and it took travel. It took meeting different people. And it meant, you know, me kind of standing out of the way a little bit and letting people be themselves because I feel like that's super important. And I hope that I didn't scare any white person off from wanting to ask their white friend, their black friends about anything, but just know that we might be a little bit tired right now because watching these videos again and again over our lifetimes and hearing about them from the start of Rodney King, when it was first documented, we're kind of tired. And so the trauma, Oh my God, the trauma is like, it's, there are times when I have to really, my, thank God my therapist recommended that I do this. And she was like, you have to minimize your social media intake so that you can keep doing what you're doing. And, um, and she's right because I stumbled onto some videos earlier today, um, including one that was mentioned here, um, you know, about the family in the car, you know, where I was just like, you know, that's absolutely traumatic. And you add that on top of the massive amount of information that we're taking in right now, which isn't normal, which isn't healthy. And um, along with the violence, and it's just, it's too much sometimes. And to cut us some slack first and do your own research. Before I interview anyone as a journalist, I do my research so that I'm informed before I speak to them. And, and then they'll point me in the right direction. So I'm just saying like, go and do the work first before you reach out to us and assume that we're up to the task. That's all I'm saying. Well, I also feel, I feel everybody's educational system is different. I think the early stages of our education is probably to blame for a lot of the ignorance around the history. My teachers, I've had every nationality. I learned about Kwanzaa in kindergarten. I learned in third grade that Christopher Columbus was a rapist. I mean, that's what I was taught by a teacher in school in the Bronx, I believe, third grade, white teacher, guy who could care less and was like, they're fooling everybody. This is the real story. And the, the thing is, and if I, re I remember correctly, I was so confused as to why Macy's gave him a parade if he's stealing. So... I've always had questions. So I think, I think that also has a lot to do with it. Because when I had said this on somebody's thread, they were like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, we knew he was a joke back then. So I don't understand. It just, I think that also has a lot, everybody's laughing, but I'm, I'm being honest. I, you know where I learned about syphilis? Third grade, because the teacher said he had syphilis and gave it to all the Native Americans and stole from them. And he's not a hero. And he lied about his, his, his name. His name is not even Christopher Columbus. So there were so many things that we learned well, early on. You had on. a teacher who was unusual and a loose cannon, clearly. I know. He I was, was like, who was that teacher, Sean? <laughs> he could care less. And so that's why I didn't look at these people as heroes. I, you know what I mean? I, and then I would go home and ask my dad. And then I would know about, I knew about Black Wall Street, Rosewood, Virginia. Detroit. There's so many different things, but a lot of people are just finding about this now. And that, like, 
there's no there's no way you would ever have a Hitler statue in Germany, in the United States of America, in the Bronx. You know what I mean? That that's a part of the trauma too. We're seeing trauma. We're, we're we're experiencing trauma. Looking at you know people getting beat up on camera, pregnant women getting tased in the stomach, right? They put a statue of of the the father of gynecology in Central Park. You know what I mean? And they just took that down after years and years and years. That's a part of the trauma that we're all dealing with and the exhaustion we're dealing with now as just well. Just to clarify, when Sean says the father of, of gynecology, this was the man whose name escapes me now, who experimented. Marion Sims. I, I think Mary. his last name is Sims, Dr. Sims. He okay. experimented on black women only. To dis- because he believed that we felt no pain. And that's what's trickled down to our, our medical system right now. Well, this day. Yeah, a lot of people to think this that- day. Mm-hmm. I mean, Serena Williams giving birth, they did not believe that she was having a clotting issue. I mean, that is, that is the biggest result of that still affecting us. The number one most praised athlete in the world was telling them what was going on with her and they didn't respond right away until she basically had to scream for it. She almost died for that. Serena I a, Williams. I have a girlfriend who went to the dermatologist. This is a, now you're talking about giving birth. Could you imagine going to the dermatologist, explain them to, to them something that's going on with your skin and they're, they're giving you medication for something that would never work because they didn't listen to her because they didn't think she was educated enough to know about her own skin. This is trickled down from, you know, from that era. So the trauma continues and we get exhausted. That's what happens. We get really exhausted and we get emotional about it as well. Yes. Wow. This is a lot, ladies. (laughs) I mean, we went from love, interracial love, and now we're getting on like the exhaustion. I'm going to need a nap after this. I don't know about you guys. Um, I am. So we've gone on for well over an hour and it's, this has been such a brilliant conversation. I do want to wrap it up a little at this point. Um, Any closing thoughts on whether it's from being a research Butler or not, Susan Dalian. I, I couldn't help but thinking through this, uh, think through this whole conversation how amazing it would be to have an episode of what the fuckery with all of our husbands. I don't, I'm, 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 I'm not even volunteering mine because I don't know if he would, but I'm just saying, wow. you know, that would be an interesting perspective to hear from. My and I, would be down. He would be down. Oh my God. He loves to talk. Oh my God. Okay. Both <laughs> husband, Susan's husband. Who else is in? I don't, I don't know about my husband. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he goes off. And says a lot of stuff that I don't know if necessarily he he would want that out there. Okay. <laughs> now we really listen. want to hear from him. Yeah. Now we want to hate him. Some of the, if you if you sat with him when we watched the news and like you see like a Mitch McConnell on TV, you don't want that type of no no. no. I probably not. Mine but, could, you know, mine, mine could sit with yours and they would have a ball. Yeah. Can we just record them unbeknownst to them? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you check with your husband, Susan? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll check with him. I mean, thank you. I, I yeah. I'll yeah, I can him. wrangle another dude who's married to one of my sisters, man. Not literal blood sister, but sister. My sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies, I usually end this every episode with my guest saying goodbye in a way that's uh, singularly theirs. It could be from a different language. It could be how they say goodbye to their babies and children or honeys or whatever it is. So do, we, do you guys have a way you want to share that you say goodbye to your loved ones or a cute way you say goodbye? Um, every night when I tuck my daughter in, we've been doing this since I can remember, I say, good night. She says, good night, mama. See you in the morning. See you in the morning. You're awesome. You're awesome. Oh, listeners, you're awesome for listening and for sharing. Okay. My husband and I never go to sleep without saying I love you. So thank you, Nadej. I love you. I love you. The world can use some love right now, y'all. Oh, my God. Mona. Oh, goodness. I mean. It hasn't been that long. (laughs) He's only been away for three months. Come on. No, I'm kidding. I'll tell you what he's been saying every night since we we met. He, you know, before I go to sleep at night, he he says, have beautiful dreams, baby. Have beautiful uh, dreams. Me too, my love. And, And I do. Sean? Well, my husband is Jewish and he makes the best Kugel, so I call him Kugels. So I I call him Kugels and I say kisses Kugels and I love you Kugels. That's what I say. And that's how we're saying goodbye to my listeners. Everyone, and the count of three, say goodbye Kugels. (laughs) One, two, three. Bye, Kugels. Okay, maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fockeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page and everything is what the fockery. So what the fockery Twitter, what the fockery Instagram, what the fockery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even what the fockery at gmail.com. Okay, now officially, bye.